Now these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This Advent season, we are preaching about the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And these virtues principally are what prepare us to meet Jesus on that last great day. Placing our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for our salvation. Looking forward then to eternity with hope. And today we are talking about the greatest of these, as St. Paul declares, which is love. Yet it doesn't seem like love is winning in our world. It seems like forces of hate and fear and other things are winning. Love often appears paralyzed by the forces of this world. So could it be that in some way we have lost sight of what love really is? Could it be that when we don't see love winning, it's because this world has lost sight of the true content of real love? It has been said that love is the most powerful force in the universe, and I for one believe that to be true. But the question we must answer is this, what is the true content of love? What is it that constitutes love? How do we rightly love in this world? We Christians declare that God is love, therefore to rightly know God is to rightly love. And so this morning I want us to have a biblical understanding of God's love. The Bible is our guide to know God and His love. And so there are three images of love that I want to speak to you about this morning. First, the Scriptures tell us that God's love is like a fire. This is why John the Baptist says to us in this morning's Gospel, You brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath. And again, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor to gather the wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's true that many in our world don't like to think of God's love in this way. Too often God is thought of as some sort of benevolent Santa Claus in the sky, giving us stockings full of whatever our wishful fantasies want. But beloved, this is a dangerous misunderstanding of the true nature of God's love. And one simple question helps us to see this clearly. How are justice and righteousness to prevail in this world unless the chaff, which is the evils of this world, are unquenchably burned, as John the Baptist says? Indeed, Psalm 89.14 teaches us this. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne, O God. Love and faithfulness go before you. And in these words, friends, we see that love emanates from justice. And love emanates from righteousness. For God Himself is just. And He is righteous. We simply cannot experience the true love of God without being subject to the justice of God. Because He will not tolerate human wickedness. 
in the places where love is not winning in this world and murderous hatred and paralyzing fear is prevailing, it is for one reason and one reason alone. It is because people are simply unwilling to humble themselves and surrender to their lives to the just judgment of God. Yet the fire of God's love will not stop. God loves everyone. He loves everyone. Therefore, we are all going to receive the love of God, but how we feel the love of God will depend upon the condition of our heart. Either we will feel it burning against us in fiery judgment, or we will feel it burning for us in mercy and grace. For this is the fiery nature of the true love of God. This, my friends, is what our conscience does to us and does for us as the Holy Spirit works on our conscience, convicting us, as Jesus tells us, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That the love of God may be rightly poured into our hearts. And this takes me to the second image of God's love. As the love of God is like a purifying fire, so also is the love of God like that of a father. Looking down from His heavenly throne, God the Father speaks through His prophet, John the Baptizer, and He teaches His covenant children how to care for one another. If you have two coats, share one with someone who does not have one. If you have food, give that food to someone who has none. And be content with your wages. We all know that the love of our earthly fathers makes provision for the good things that we need and works to protect us against the harmful evils of this world. And so it's true with our Heavenly Father. As our Heavenly Father lavishes good gifts upon us, basic necessities for our life and living, gifts and talents to be enjoyed and shared with one another. And think about it with me. It is the covenant members of God's community, the children of God, which is the church, who are supposed to know how to do this. We are to manifest the love of our Heavenly Father amongst ourselves and in so doing, show the world how to rightly love. As our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then He teaches them the content of that love when He says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Friends, there is no other answer. If we expect the world will stop living in its barbaric condition, then we are the ones who must do something about it. Could it be that God is allowing things to continue in the condition that they are, at least in part because of His fatherly love? That He is lovingly allowing the church to grow up into maturity and to do the things that we have pledged ourselves as Christians to do? Could it be that God is removing the training wheels, so to speak, that we will grow up, as the Scriptures say, into the mature manhood of Christ. Friends, there's nothing easy about making manifest the love of God in this world. In fact, if I've read the story right, and if we've read church history correctly, at its core it involves the denial of self. At its core it involves taking up our cross and following after Jesus. It seems to involve much love and suffering. Humiliation, crucifixion, martyrdom. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to think about these kinds of things. Yet it turns out that those are the very things 
the very things which saved my soul and made me the man I am today. That somebody was actually willing to deny himself, to take up his cross, and to follow after Jesus. And not just to introduce me to Jesus, but to walk it out with me, to stay with me, to teach me the things that are of the gospel and of the church. Until I understood what Christianity is truly all about. And in the greatest of ironies, if those things hadn't been shown to me in my life, if someone had not sacrificed himself, becoming like Christ to me, I too would still be living a barbaric life. Perhaps it would look nice on the outside, maybe I could dress it up with greenback dollar bills, but it would still be wicked and worthless chaff on the inside. I was talking to a very dear friend of mine the other day, and he was recounting how he has been sober for over 20 years now. And yet, even so, about eight years ago, he still nearly lost his family. Because, as he says, he wasn't living for Jesus Christ. But when he repented of his worldly ways, when he allowed the fiery judgment of God's love to truly convict his heart, and to show him truly his fatherly love, everything changed for him. And he has a remarkable family and ministry today. Today he and his wife counsel couples who are having similar kinds of marital problems. In fact, he is one of my closest Christian friends, even praying for me just last night when I was off in my own emotional ditch. And these stories bring me to the final observation about the love of God. God's love is fire. It is burning the chaff of sin out of our hearts. And God's love is fatherly, protecting and providing. And thirdly, God's love is family. Here John the baptizer says, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. Friends, our eternal security is not in our earthly fathers. Neither is it in our earthly family. Jesus says, Who are my mother and brothers and sisters, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven? God is our Father, and we are His children by adoption and grace. Among other things, this is the good news of the gospel. And here I would like to speak to you again on a personal level. Because this, at its core, is the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. For He came precisely to seek and to save the lost. He came to the outcast and the marginalized of this world. From the words of the prophet Zephaniah, which we read this morning, I will save the lame and gather the outcast, says the Lord. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. How many times have we walked around in shame? How many times have we felt isolated and outcast because of something we know that we've done that has separated us in some way from the love of the Father and of His family? Is this not the story of the prodigal son at its core? And Zephaniah continues, At that time, listen to these comforting words. I will bring you home. I will bring you home. Think about the anger in this world. Think about the depression in this world. 
what are people looking for except the comfort and security of family? To know that they matter and that they're of infinite worth. And is this not the ministry of Jesus Christ who gathers us up, all of us, for in one way or another, we've all been outcast in some way. We've all felt the fire of God's judgment burning against us because we know. We know. And yet when we open our hearts truly to Him, we feel the fire of God's mercy and grace refining us and purifying us and calling us to Himself. Not leaving us as outcasts, but calling us home. For as the prophet Zephaniah concludes, I will restore your fortunes before your eyes. And friends, he's not just talking about material fortune. He's talking about the spiritual fortune of having an eternal and heavenly home with our Father. As I have said to you before, one of the most dynamic realities of missionary work is the realization that Christianity is a religion of every tongue and every tribe and every nation, and it's almost incomprehensible to think that in heaven, you and I will know people from all over the world who we have yet to meet here on earth, and some of them we never will until we see them in glory. And as I have also said to you before, like it or not, you and I are bound together for eternity. That's the facts, Jack. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. My friends, this then is the celebration of Advent and the very ministry of Jesus Christ. That by His first coming, He has shown us the fullness of His love. Giving us hope that we need in this life that we might have faith to enter the next life and spend forever with Him. And that by His second coming, while these things sometimes seem as distant realities to us in the here and now, yet He has promised that He will come again. And that they will finally find their fulfillment in Him. It has been said that love is the greatest force in the world. And I believe that to be true. And so the question is this. What is the true content of love? The true content of love is found in God and in God alone. A love that comes in fiery judgment to root out the chaff of wickedness in the human heart. A love that comes from our Heavenly Father, providing for us the good things we need for this life and living, and promising us a hope and a future. A future that will find its fulfillment in being part of His family forever. Now these three abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 